The Toronto Blue Jays will open a brand new Rogers Center tonight. Detroit Tigers in town. Alec Manoa on the mound. Very, very exciting night ahead. It was an exciting night last night, though, with uh, Matthew Nyes making his long-awaited Toronto Maple Leafs debut. Mm -hmm. Maybe a year after we expected that (laughs) debut. After he opted to go back to college. Went went back to... Hopefully when a frozen four did not happen that way after the loss to QPAC in the final, but Matthew Nyes is an NHLer now. And to talk about him, his debut and more, we have Jason Bukla, former director of amateur scouting for the Florida Panthers and a current Sportsnet analyst, of course. Good morning, Jason. Long weekend. You guys recovered? Always. Uh, it wasn't the longest, actually, weekend for us, unfortunately. Oh, okay. No, no. Right, we worked right. Friday, so it was kind of a standard weekend, which is a little no bit days more family off for time. This squad, right? Yeah, this is too busy this time of year to be taking <laughs> okay. days off. So hopefully, right, right. was your Easter good? Did you have a good long weekend? No, there's no, this time of year, there's no days off. Right. Scouting community. So Touché. I recovered just like Ailish. I recovered. I'm, right. good. I'm good to go. Bunch of go. company guys here, there eh? No go. days off. Grinding. Do it for sports. Grinding. Uh, okay, <laughs> so. It was not your first impression, but it was many people's first impressions of Matthew Nye. So how did he fare in his debut last night for the Toronto Maple Leafs? Pretty much to exactly how I expected, actually. I thought he, I thought he did a lot of things, way more things very well than a couple of those pizzas that he turned over in the second period uh, coming off the half wall. And some of that... Um, you know, let's talk about the turnover. I was, I broke it down. Like when a Charlie's coming up the middle of the ice and he chips it to the middle there, like some of that will, as you get a practice under your belt and you actually get to do line rushes and some things with your teammates, some of those things will, um, erase themselves. Obviously there were a couple other times too. He got kind of uh, standing still in the neutral zone, obviously got run over. But, um, the thing of it guys is that in the small areas, um, exactly to his identity. He worked below the goal line. It took a couple of checks to uh, to try and knock him off pucks on the half wall. Uh, he got Kerfoot the puck in the middle of the ice, and Kerfoot actually took it to the net a couple of times. So he easily could have had a couple of apples in that game, if not for some puck luck. Um, so to his identity, I thought he played uh, heavy in the hard areas, extended some plays. And uh, and if you watch him really closely, head on a swivel, responsible, aware of what's going on around him. So pretty whirlwind 72 hours. I mean, you lose, you go home, you fly back. I mean, but that the, doesn't that speak to his character that he wanted to get on the plane with his group, go all the way back to Minnesota, you know, handshakes and goodbyes and thank yous and then fly all the way back. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, that was interesting because we always thought, oh, you'll just meet him in uh, Florida, Sunrise, or Tampa, wherever it's going to be. There, uh, you know, pack two bags, Matthew Nyes, because you're not going back to college. But he did. He did go back to college for a day or for those handshakes uh, in a whirlwind uh, couple hours or a couple days for him to make his NHL debut. Uh, lots of variables, right? Uh, there's the you know emotional toll of losing. There's the hey, you got to go through all these loopholes to get in the lineup. This is your NHL debut. How much did all of that do you think affected his game or did it at all in his debut it didn't affect him yesterday but he's going to wake up exhausted today um it's it's one of those things that you're just so um kind of caught up in the moment and you're excited and but that you're you know you you're you're just and you're, you're saying it exactly right like there's so much that goes on besides just pulling the jersey on like registering the contract flying home 
getting, you know, obviously ready to be away. So, you know, just even just like packing a bag to, to, to travel properly. But to go through all the physical testing yesterday, too, to make sure that there isn't any red flags uh, before you pull the jersey on. So there's a lot that went on. He's going to be exhausted today. Um, I don't know what they're going to do with him tonight. Um, uh, I'd be a little bit cautious about their lineup right now. I was watching, you know, when we're watching that last night, there was some bumps and, potential bruises that were taking place in that game that um, you don't want to risk too much, right, in these next two games. So talking to you a couple times that we have, uh, we know that you've, like, formulated your opinion on Matthew Nyes. Like, you think he belongs, am I right, uh, on this playoff roster? Well, I think that he's a, a part of the playoff roster for sure. I think that he's a 13 probably to start right okay. now. We'll see how the next few days go. Um, but uh, if he can play 12 to 14 minutes of uh, – grind hockey at the very worst um i think there's some certain value there for sure okay so yeah because like we're watching last night and we're like yeah we're, we're intrigued maybe he's a little bit smaller than we expected but like a lot of those skills uh that we are intrigued by and and that we want to see and we want to see him competing for a top six six job next year but the learning curve and there was a learning curve like he's you mentioned it the familiarity it's not there because you haven't had those repetitions and it's just do you want to see those repetitions play out when the games matter the most and I guess my opinion is that yeah we just can't see that learning curve happen against the Tampa Bay Lightning but you know there might be a time in the place uh, for the playoffs for him so I guess I'll ask you like if there is a learning curve and maybe we saw a portion of it like how long do you think that'll take to get up to speed for a guy like Matthew Nyes to feel comfortable in a Leaf jersey to feel comfortable in Sheldon Keefe's system how long does that process take I honestly think that it's going to take uh if I had to put a number on it 20 to 25 games the next year to get completely comfortable in your own skin with what you identify as a player at that time of your development so when I project him as a 13th forward um you know for next week uh, what I what I identify him as in that role is if uh, Lafferty's bumped up or, you know, if, if they have some injury in the bottom or there's some guys that can't go 100%, again, he'll, he'll, he'll grind away in those hard areas. He'll bump opponents and he'll, he'll take more than one check to, to get him off a puck. So for now, that's enough. Come the fall, though, 20 to 25 games, uh, hopefully a couple of goals uh, around the net and from the middle of the ice, and, and we'll see where he slots. But it's going to take that much time. And, and let's not forget, too, that he needs a full summer of proper uh, pro training, I would suggest. So after development camp, see where his body's at and see where his uh, improvements need to, uh, need to go before his first full year of pro. You did write a great uh, piece at sportsnet.ca. Never should check it out. Scouts analysis, what Matthew Nyes adds to the Maple Leafs this season and beyond. And uh, he's got two more games here if he plays, and he, he probably will, um, Lightning and Rangers. What do you think we should be looking for? What do you think he should be focusing on um, over these two games? Is, and do you see, like, an optimal, optimal line or a role? I know he was with Kerfoot and Achari. Um last night is there some way that he does something a little different or looks for some sort of way to to get himself acclimated over the next two games i think less is more i think that you know you just want to manage the puck if you get it between the blue lines chip it deep if you have a one-on-one in your lane off the rush get it behind the defenseman and identify that you can you know, work to your strengths, which is out muscling somebody in, in, you know, again, below the goal line or, 
getting it to the half wall and waiting for support to happen. Um, there was a really sneaky play that didn't result in the goal, but uh, on the one chance that Kerfoot got, um, those types of things, you know, like when he, he gets it on the half wall, it takes two two defenders to try and contain him, and he chips it to space to extend a play to, uh, to somebody else on his line, whoever that is. So simple, just uh, bump, uh, get it deep, manage the puck, and that's it. Like, you know, if he gets if he gets a, an assist or a goal or something like that, that's a bonus. Mm-hmm. Um, the rest of it, uh, manage the puck and keep it simple. It, it's it, I, I can't I can't say it any other, any other way. Just keep it as simple as possible. Yeah, a little bit of comfortability. Maybe uh, talk to your line mates for more than twenty four hours would probably help <laughs> yeah. get to know like the equipment staff and everything. I'm sure all of that would be a good progress for him. So you were at the Frozen Four, of course. You had a busy weekend. Um, I'm sure that we have focused a lot on Matthew Nyes and not as much um, here in the Toronto market of other players that might have been standouts from Frozen Four, QPAC wins, and OT. But any other standouts or any other storylines that we, as a hockey community, should be paying attention to from the college uh, to NHL, you know, pipeline? Well, I think that uh, there's there's an interesting one developing at Quinnipiac, and that's at Skyler Brindamore, Rod Brindamore's son. I, I didn't see anything come across the line yesterday. Um, the Oilers are on the clock to make a decision on him, uh, whether they want to sign him uh, or not. Um, the longer it goes, I'm, I'm leaning that they're not going to make that happen. So, It'll be interesting to see um, if uh, a team acquires his rights before the draft uh, to potentially sign him. Uh, he's a typical Brindamore in terms of playing with a lot of detail. Uh, he's a depth prospect, though, at the NHL level, and I mean that as a 12 or a 13. He's uh, more of a defensive forward. Um, but the guy that we have to talk about is, uh, is you know, Fantilli, Adam Fantilli, obviously the Hobie Baker Award winner now, and um, it's a really remarkable draft class, and for him to be second to anybody this year is an anomaly. But um, you know, this draft lottery obviously is the one for Bedard. But what a what an outstanding consolation prize somebody's going to get in Fantilli. He's, uh, I mean, he just it's, it's in a word. We don't realize it yet, and we'll circle back five, six years from now, and we'll start talking about this draft class and what it's done for the league. And it's 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 a pretty pretty special group, and and he deserves a lot of credit. That's oh, great news. Keep that influx of talent going, so we can get 150 point scores on the regular, like Connor <laughs> McDavid. Uh, that's very very exciting. Uh, does that mean Adam Fantilli closed his season uh, much better than he started? I know there was a lot of hype, and there was he was already uh, you know defined as a really intriguing prospect. But there was some uh, there was a dip in his season. Maybe that just came around the World Junior, and that's clouding my judgment a little bit. But how did he close his season? Did he really cement himself in the final few weeks and months here? Yeah, he's the uh, consensus number two now. He's absolutely solidified. I'd be shocked if anybody else goes number two overall. He just, uh, from the World Juniors on, uh, when he played out of position at the World Juniors, didn't sulk about it, you know, killed penalties, played with energy, chipped in a little bit of offense. From that point on, um, his offense just went to a whole other level at the NCAA level. And, I mean, he didn't leave any stone unturned. You know, he can play out of position, he can play fast, he can compete, he can play physical. He's tracking up the ice, uh, you know, way quicker than most opponents. So um, a lot of great, great momentum for the kid. Uh, you know, I think he's really motivated, and so he should be, um, to, to not just be left in the dust of the Bedard conversation. 
So the jury's still out on whether or not Matthew Nyes will make an impact on the Maple Leafs uh, next week and in the following weeks if the Leafs can make a decent uh, run in the Stanley Cup playoffs. But there are other prospects that may have an impact on this season at the NHL level. Brock Faber signed a contract. Luke Hughes signed a contract. If you had to pick one guy coming from the college ranks recently or over the last couple of days here or this season that's going to make an impact for their team, uh, where would you lay your bets? Brock Faber has been one of my favorite players for years. He, like this kid's a glue guy. Uh, he was the captain at Minnesota. Um, two-way defenseman who can play in all situations. I don't even need him. Again, I don't need him to provide any offense at this time of year as a defenseman. And I would suggest to you guys it's way harder for a defenseman to jump into this than it is a forward at this time of year. Um, but he is uh, the most well-rounded and ready NHL um, or college kid coming into the game on the back end right now. He uses elite. He's elite offensively, but he doesn't have the detail uh, on and off the puck that Faber does. Talking to Jason Bukla, former director of amateur scouting in the Florida Panthers and current sports analyst for us here. So Connor Bedard's uh, WHL career ended, I believe, last night, game seven loss. Um, how did the playoffs go for Bedard and uh, looking forward? I mean, uh, learning lessons from a, a shorter playoff career that I'm sure he wanted to be a bit lengthier. <laughs> Just a little slick 20 points in seven games. Not bad, so eh? he did. Uh, it's just okay. It was all right. Um, how would you like to own the uh, Saskatoon Blades franchise? <laughs> I mean, you know, packing the building, uh, you know, it's like they got two rounds worth of gates because they were playing Regina. He he did everything he could. Um, I kind of, uh, I had, I had guesstimated that this game or this series would go seven games and, and Saskatoon's depth would eventually take over. And it did. Uh, they ran out of gas for Gina, including Bedard to a degree. Um, it's interesting. I, I, if I'm representing him right now, I am not um, suggesting for him to go play at the men's worlds or if you can believe it, he's actually eligible to play the U18s in two weeks in Switzerland, which would be ridiculous. But um I would uh, I would shut him down and not risk anything. He's played a lot of hockey, and uh, he's done everything he needed to do to uh, prove that he's the number one overall. So, um, yeah, it's too bad they didn't uh, advance Regina, but uh, at the same token, I think that's about uh, as good as her team could have been. That's just you know the reserve is is empty. Why why would you suggest that he didn't doesn't go play with men just to just to feel an upgrade in competition? Injury potential injury um i don't uh you know it, it, it's like that old saying where you know sometimes uh, guys go play uh get loaned to the world junior team uh, you know from the pro teams and then an injury happens or whatever i just don't know that the value like the upside of it um in his draft cycle is is less important to me um and i just i don't want to risk it he'll here's what i would say though i think he'll probably go because he's really a competitive kid and he's probably gonna out uh outrule anybody that says otherwise uh, so if he's asked he'll probably be there so um yeah it'd be good for him to play with men but let me tell you he's gonna have a long career ahead of him and he's gonna be playing in a lot more important uh men's championship uh games for team canada in the future all right, so we we watched the draft lottery with bated breath because where is Matt, uh, where is Connor Bedard going to end up? Um, it's been a question that we've uh, had for quite a while now. If you were 
able to place him in one of these uh, lower-tier teams, where would he flourish the best and the quickest for his career? Oh, great question. Um, it's obviously, you know, no crystal. Uh, you know, I'll tell you where he wouldn't flourish the most out of the, of the gate. That's probably easier, and that's Chicago. There's not enough uh, support around him right now mm-hmm. if it's the Chicago Blackhawks. Um, Anaheim would be fascinating. You know, they've got some really good young talent there. Um, but I would say that Columbus, I mean, Columbus um, had an absolute ton of injuries this year, but if he ever was selected by, or if he ever fell into Columbus's lap, I mean, I'm just doing some, writing down some names as you suggest this, and like Line, Goudreau, uh, Bedard, um, Wierenski, like you start going, what a power play they would have. It would be pretty, pretty outstanding. So I think right there he's surrounded by more, um, more protection, if you will to play to his identity. I don't know if this is necessarily a fair question, so I'll keep it as open-ended as possible. But, you know, you're reminded about Carter Verhage every time if you're a Leaf fan watching the Florida Panthers. Uh, how does a guy that's, you know, a third-round pick, I guess it was in 2013 with the Toronto Maple Leafs, end up not sticking around in that organization for very long at all and scoring 40 goals with the Florida Panthers 10 years later? You're right. That's not a very fair question. So thanks for asking it. Uh, I don't, uh, I, you know, it's everybody um, needs an opportunity and everybody um, thrives in different environments. Uh, Don't forget he was in uh, Tampa Bay um, as well in there. And I'm sure that they would love to have him. but um, you know, depending on where you are in your, in your cycle and your belief in a player, um, you know, these things, these things happen. And, it's a great story for the kid. It's not a great story for the Leafs, obviously, because it's, you know, looking back. But um, I don't think anybody would have projected necessarily this from him. But um, playing with some of the players he's playing with in Florida right now maximizes his ability. But I will say this. Last night watching him, um, man, can the kid skate in open ice. Like his, his skating, his quickness, uh, darting up the ice has gone to a whole new level. He, level he's uh, definitely put in the work. Yeah, really impressive. Not just a ancillary piece, right? Like a guy who plays with good players who can score goals. There are those type of players, but he's he's got a, a lot of talent, uh, and it shows every time he plays the Toronto Maple Leafs. But again, <laughs> prospects go at their own rate, and uh, Carter Verhage certainly came on a little later than many prospects. Uh, Jason, we appreciate all the Matthew Nye's insight, tape watching, scouting all season long because you know it gave us some content to talk about Matthew and I's all year and got us ready for his debut last night and the games that we're going to see uh, down the stretch here. So we appreciate that and we appreciate you coming on this morning. Of course, guys, anytime. Have a great day. Thank you. You too. That's Jason Bukla, former director of amateur scouting with the Florida Panthers who got Carter Brahegi, uh and current sports analyst, of course. Well, big night in terms of some milestones in the NHL. Your guy... Eric Carlson, he's something to chew on, brought to you by Great Canadian Meats. Yum, yum, yum. 100 points. In fashion, too. Two goals to get to the 100-point mark. An exclusive club. He's a, what, a 6-2 loss. <laughs> and that's the San Jose Sharks season. Yes, a 6-2 he got loss. both of them. Carlson scores twice, gets to 100 points, but you lose by four. Only six NHL defensemen have scored 100 points or more in a season. Uh, he's up there with the best of them. Like he's got uh, some 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 good teammates around him. Paul Coffey, Bobby Orr, ever heard of him? Al McInnes, Dennis Potvin, Eric Carlson, Brian Leach. Uh, yeah, 
Eric Carlson joins that list, uh, 32 years old, one of six defensemen in the NHL history, 100 points or more. Not only did that happen last night, but uh, Joe Pavelski and Claude Giroux each had their 1,000 career NHL points. Yeah. Giroux had a pair of goals as well, so it was a big night for double goal milestones. Big night for players of my childhood yeah, and, and really the start special. of my professional career, I suppose. I mean, I think Eric Carlson all but sewed up his third Norris trophy, which will make him an automatic Hall of Famer, not that he wasn't already. I don't believe I saw Jeff Merrick throw around the HOF line for Joe Pavelski after he I scored his, what you said it was a thousand points. So he got his 1,000th um, I'm not as sold with Joe Pavelski going to the with the goal as Hall well, fame. which is nice. These points, these, these milestones will happen on goals. And Claude Giroux did as well, did yeah, it was a goal. Two goals. Yeah, so uh, first time you know, ever two players have recorded their 1,000th point in the same day. Great stories, each in their own right. Um, Pavelski's had a legendary career, of course. Giroux's had a immensely productive year. I love that he's doing this at home. His family was, you know, we had shots of his family all night. They were celebrating it. His family moved back to where he's from. He's from the Ottawa area, so he's he's getting to enjoy that part of his career. But I just come back to Carlson and what a year it was and what player he is and how desperate we need to see or how desperate I am to see him play for a good team, to be doing this in this NHL and to do it all in vain for a San Jose Sharks team that's not bad enough to be in the Bedard sweepstakes but probably would be if it weren't for Eric Carlson. Like, individual trophies are nice, but I want to see him play for a good team next year. So can we make that happen, Mike Greer? Sure, he's listening. We have Bobby Marks on the other side of the break. Now, there's been so much drama the past uh, four to five days in the NBA. Players punching each other during media timeouts. Uh, Teams purposely mm, kind of tanking games for draft odds to change for draft picks to change we're, get, um, we're getting hilarious woge tweets oh we are where he's just Some not, iconic, he's just not so, censoring himself yeah. he's frustrated it's very funny um the nba playoff picture for the play-in tournament starts tonight now there's some big ones because rudy gobert and the minnesota timberwolves will play lebron james but oop no rudy rudy, rudy gobert because he's been suspended from the team uh, for taking a swing at his teammates. So there's a lot to look at tonight. Lakers are eight-point favorites. It's going to be a very interesting two days here. Obviously, the Toronto Raptors uh, look to start their play-in stretch here against the Chicago Bulls tomorrow at 7 p.m. Now, I wondered how people thought or what people thought about this. They're doing a Jurassic Park for the play-in. I, I guess mean, you kind of I mean, have, have to. kind of have to. But is it going to be bumping? I, I kind of like. I, I hope don't know. That there's a big I'm, turnout. I'm definitely curious to see whether or not it'll be bumping or not. I feel like the Raptors fan base is a little frustrated, and it's showing in terms of like I don't say interest. I'm sure people are dialed in and watching games and mm-hmm. and, and still excited about uh, you know reading about the team and where they're going and talking about what's next. But in terms of like optimism and belief and all those things, like you go down to you go down to Jurassic Park. <laughs> When you are expecting to see something great, when you expect to celebrate with a bunch of fans, yeah, you a don't bunch want of to go there and stand there just like you in sorrow. Yeah, <laughs> watching Demar Derozan go off and just you know putting your head down and taking the TTC home for free. Well, it won't be free Wednesday. No. Too bad. Fortunately, uh, Raptors didn't. five and a half point favorites against the Bulls tomorrow. But yeah, you mentioned it. Lakers eight point favorites. Heat and Hawks also tonight. So we got two NBA Heat Hawks and T Wolves and Lakers. That's tonight. And of course, you've got Bulls Raptors tomorrow. And we'll keep 
teeing that up. Maybe your wake and rake pick comes from one of those playing games tonight. You can send that in at 590-590. Lots to look forward to. We got uh, Raptors uh, tomorrow, but you have Maple Leafs and Lightning, a first round preview. See if both teams see it that way or if it's a little bit uh, hold back. Keep some of the guys. Do you think you're low managing any of the Leafs tonight? I would expect some guys will probably, but, uh, but not again, Marner they're, they're in because such a he weird... wants that 100 points. Yeah, I think Maybe Marner Tavares. would have to play. I can see Tavares not playing tonight. Yeah, he's still recovering after that two minute and 26 second shift. He's huffing a puff. I, I just don't know who who they, how much they can sit guys given all the financial. We do need restraints. to know about like Yarn like, Croak and Lafferty get, too. Are they going to get a goalie up that can play? Yeah, <laughs> I, I, there's a lot of moving parts here with the Maple Leafs. So fools there and guessing who's going to be sitting and who's going to be. Playing. Yeah, and they're. They're dogs tonight against the Tampa Bay Lightning, probably for that reason, because who knows who's in that. And if you've got uh, Owen Sound Attack Netminder, maybe mm-hmm. you're thinking it's a big night for the Tampa Bay Lightning. And Bukla even skeptical that Matthew Nyes plays because he said you got to be careful. I don't know if the Leafs will be careful, but uh, actually, what justification would there be to not play him? No, you're after playing you nice. signed him. You are playing Matthew Nyes. You gave yourself <laughs> no backup. If he goal doesn't tether. play tonight, it's it's. So backwards, yeah, this play, whole process. Yeah, it would be, it would be, it would look very bad. He has to. Maybe he'll be, maybe he'll take Tavares' spot for some top six minutes here. Ooh, All okay. right. Uh, you've got Maple Leafs lightning tonight. Of course, you've got the Toronto Blue Jays with their new look Rogers Center. First pitch at 7.07 p.m. As we mentioned, get there early. Um, lots going on at the Rogers Center. Let's take a break because we've got Bobby Marks, ESPN, NBA front office insider joining us to tee up the play-in and a look at the playoffs on the cusp starting tonight. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL, the J.D. Bunkins podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Back on the Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, The Fan, Justin Cuthbert, and Ailish Forfar. The Toronto Raptors start their play in March against the Chicago Bulls tomorrow at Scotiabank Arena. They've earned that home court advantage, which hopefully... Oh, yeah, they earned it, baby. They earned it. Hopefully that uh Ninth that best sticks. in the East. Earned that a home sticks. date. They've played really well at home, Justin. Maybe that's all they need. A little home cooking. A little momentum. A little momentum. And after game one of the playoffs. A little something. In 2023. Hey, it's uh, something to look forward to. One day away, we'll see the Toronto Raptors against DeMar DeRozan and the Bulls. And to tee that up for us is Bobby Marks, ESPN NBA front office insider, joining us. Bobby, an exciting and probably busy time for you around uh, the play-in tournament and the start of the NBA playoffs. Good morning. How are you guys? Good. Thank you. Yeah, we're good. We're excited. You know, the Raptors haven't had the uh, most prolific season, to say the least, but they got an opportunity to make things right, to, to start their march towards something of uh, substance for us well, here. Why do we laugh when we say this? I don't know, because, I don't know, Does I guess that's a good <laughs> question for Bobby. Um, yeah. Here's the question. If the Raptors do win or do not win tomorrow night, is there a way to evaluate this Raptors season that has, you know, a glimmer of positivity or has it been just a disappointment if you look like league-wide and you're zoomed out of the Toronto market? Um, how do you evaluate where the Raptors are and where they could be in a day? Well, I mean, I think if they, certainly if they lose, uh, you know, it's, it's certainly a disappointment. I mean, you go from, what, 48 wins last year to 41 this year and, you don't make the play, you know, you don't, you don't make the, the, you know, the top eight in the first round. Um, you basically have the same roster um, that you did 
uh, a year ago, and you had a portal at the trade deadline here. So I would I would certainly think if if you don't beat Chicago, I think it would be a, a big a big disappointment. I think either or if you if you win or you lose, and you um you know you get into the first round and you're playing um you know Milwaukee. I mean, you eventually like you don't have that buffer that you did at the trade deadline, right? You don't have that. You know what? Let's let's regroup with our roster. We'll figure it out in three or four months. No, like like time eventually is going to run out here. Um, for you to start making some decisions, certainly with your head coach, um, with Fred, with Gary Trent, Pirtle, you know, guys like that. Uh, you know, you've got a lot of big decisions lined up. And eventually, if it's not um, the end of the week, it will be in maybe two, probably two weeks that you're going to have to kind of start figuring things out here. Yeah, I think it's a frustrating time for a Raptors fan because um, they were selling us something, right? Like they they said before, Masai Ujiri said before, playing for what? Like that doesn't matter. We're about championships and that's all. And then in the last couple months here, it's been like, okay, we're going to add to this mediocre team and we are going to actually try to do something in the play-in and get some experience for some young guys. And yet at the same time, Nick Nurse seems to be planning his exit strategy and the management team doesn't retain a Jeff Doughton Jr. And I don't know how big of a deal Jeff Doughton Jr. is like in the grand scheme of things, but like he was someone that Nick Nurse used. And it just seems like this team isn't really taking this seriously. And I want to circle back to the Raptors, but that's a theme here. Teams around the NBA are not taking the play-in seriously. So is that the thing? Like, what have we learned most from the last couple weeks here where we've seen teams dodge it, where we've seen teams just kind of stumble into it? Like, is it, has it been what the NBA wanted it to be? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I, if you're referring to Dallas, I mean, Dallas is a unique situation. You know, Dallas dodged the play-in because they owed New York a top 10 protected pick. You know, if if there was no... If there was no pick involved and if the Mavericks had their own, they wouldn't, you know, they would have played their guys on, on Friday night and, and Sunday here. So I think the playing still has a lot of value. I mean, if you look at teams like, oh, if you ask Oklahoma City, it still has a lot of value. Oklahoma, uh, New Orleans was able to get out of the first round last year. I mean, out of the playing last year to get to the first round. Um, so I don't look at teams who are looking to dodge it. I mean, I think if you ask Chicago, would you rather be. Um, in you know, in, in the lottery where their pick goes to Orlando or, you know, trying to fight to get in, um, you know, into the first round. So I, I don't, I don't look at it, you know, I don't look at it that way. I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, for, for Toronto, as I said, it's a disappointment. I don't know if Jeff Dowling's going to move the needle, no offense, <laughs> to getting yeah, this team fair. out of the first round. I mean, and, and Nick, and let's, let's, I mean, the reality of it is Nick's played seven or eight guys all year. So why all of a sudden is a two-way guy going to kind of swing things here? So I think that's more probably like a, an, an internal fight that's probably been going on all year as far as, um, you know, to, front, the front office kind of telling him who to play as far as maybe some of these bench players. And now Nick basically, you know what, you know what I'm, it's, it's kind of my turn to, you know, kind of you know, change course here. So, um you know, hey, they've got a chance to to get out. Uh, they you know they they should beat Chicago. We'll see what happens against the loser of tonight's Miami Atlanta game. And as I said, like you've got, I mean, there's major decisions coming. I mean, the first decision is going to be your head coach. I mean, I would be surprised, considering that he's on a, he's got a year left on his contract. His comments a few weeks ago from Philadelphia, a disappointing season. You either have three choices here, right? Like you can either um, you can extend them. You can let him come back as a lame duck coach, or you can kind of, you know, um, wipe the slate clean and kind of go in a different direction. And as history has shown, 
you know, every coach has an expiration date. I don't care if you've won a championship or have taken this team to multiple playoffs and everything that eventually like things change. And I would expect things to change if this team doesn't go you know, deep into the playoffs. What needs to happen from a roster construction standpoint? Obviously, there's a couple of free agents. They brought in Jakob Pertl. He could technically walk. Gary Trent Jr. could technically walk. Fred Van Fleet could walk. Um, what do you expect and anticipate from the Raptors this uh, this summer? And I guess, you know, it, does it matter if Nick Nurse... Like, the Nick Nurse decision is going to happen before anything meaningful happens. But does this summer, from a roster standpoint, hinge totally and exclusively on Nick Nurse, or do these things gonna, are going to happen in their different silos? I think they're different. I think certainly, um, you know, if there, is a, if there is a coaching change, I'm sure that whoever that head coach will have some type of input just based on how they, the style of play um, as far as who fits and who doesn't. But, you know, Messiah and Bobby have been there a long time. They kind of have, have the pulse of what the roster is, is going to be. I think – the big thing is going to be is, you know, we'll get a finalized CBA at the end of the week, a new one here. And the reality is that you're not going to be able to keep all these guys just based on how, you know, you know, how the rules are going to be. I mean, you can, but you're going to pay a significant penalty and you're going to be restricted here. So, you know, you've got, you know, uh, Fred is up. He's got a player option. Um, Gary's up. You know, Fred is interesting just because he hasn't had a good year. I mean, he's played well down the, down the, um, down, you know, I guess down the stretch here, but he, you know, from for his standards, I don't think he's had a good year. And you know, and are are you looking? For, I, I don't know if I'd pay him more than what Jalen Brunson got in New York, which was four for one hundred four. And he'll probably turn that down. And what's the other option? So, yeah, I mean, you've got those two guys: OG's extension eligible, Pascal's extension eligible next year, Scotty's extension eligible, uh, Pertle's a free agent this year. So. You know, you cobble all that together, and you know it's it's not it's not a pretty sight as far as how much you're going to pay, but your your priorities are your shooting and, and the bench, right? I mean that's I mean you've got no three point shooters on this roster outside of Trent, he's a free agent. Your bench is you know the, you know has been historically bad, or maybe not bad, but uh, underused. Um, those are kind of your priority outside of your outside of your main players. Bobby, when if ever are we having a conversation about? Uh... Bobby, not you, but Bobby Webster and Masai, maybe being in the hot seat themselves for the roster construction and the bench and the player development, as you mentioned, is that is that too premature now? Is that another offseason or two away, depending on how the Raptors go? But it seems like we, we start the conversation with Nick Nurse, and sometimes it ends there. Yeah, no, I mean, I think if, if, if there is a coaching change, then, you know, there's not many, many more mulligans you could have. And I wouldn't even say Nick was a mulligan. I mean, Nick's been here for, you know, he's won a championship for you. And I think it's just kind of run, run its course here. But yeah, I mean, if you bring back the same roster and you make a change of head coach and you, and a year from now we're talking and they're 41 and 41 and, and playing in the plane, then yeah, then certainly the front office is, is under the, under the microscope here. And I think anytime, you, you won a championship, what, four years ago, um, and you had a competitive series last year against the Sixers, you're not supposed to take a step back. I mean, that's not, especially with a young young group, you know, it's not like they've, you know, maxed out their, you know, potential here. I mean, this this group is guys in their late 20s, and Scotty, you know, is coming off, a you know, a great rookie year. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, you could talk about it now. I mean, you could talk about it, you know, next offseason. But eventually, yeah, the front office is going to be looked at as far as these are the guys they brought in. These are the guys they drafted. You've made a coaching change, and, and basically the results are the same. 
So we're not ready to have the post-mortem talk yet. The Raptors still have a game at least um, here tomorrow against, uh, against the Bulls. So, so how dangerous are the Bulls? Obviously, DeMar DeRozan, we know well, could be a revenge spot for him. Yeah. How's this team looking in terms of how they could match up against the Chicago Bulls team that's obviously, as you mentioned, played their way into a pretty big spot as well? Yeah, I mean, since the dead, uh, since the trade deadline, they've been first in defensive efficiency. Um, you know, certainly that's with the Patrick Beverly addition here. Um, they've kind of gotten a little bit small. Um, and, and Patrick Williams, who they drafted a few years, years ago, has come off the bench for them. Yeah, I mean, you know, with the Rosen and Zach uh, Vucevic, um, you know, Alex Caruso, um, that's kind of your your and, and Beverly, and that's kind of your your group of five there. Um, have not been good at late in you know at the end of games. I think they rank in the bottom as far as um, you know basically blown leads, clutch time, you know performances here. But yeah, Demar and, and Zach are you know they're all stars, right? So end of game, close games. Um, you know, I would definitely keep an eye on them. But they've had a you know their their year has been all over the place here. I mean, I think they're fourteen and nine since the All Star break. Um, you know, that Alonzo injury kind of hung over that organization most of the year with that, with the knee um, and patchwork as far as uh, point guards here. But, you know, they're, you know, they're a five, a 40 and 42 here. And they're in, there's a reason why they're sitting at 10. <laughs> I mean, there's a reason why they're at the, in, at the 10 spot and not, you know, not, not at number six. ESPN NBA front office insider Bobby Marks is on the line. Okay, so we have our 7-8 games tonight. Uh, the Miami Heat will host the Atlanta Hawks, and the L.A. Lakers will host the Minnesota Timberwolves. Although, if the Raptors do win, they'll face either the Hawks or the loser of the Hawks or the Heat. Um, I'm more interested in the Timberwolves and the Lakers tonight. Uh, the Timberwolves are having their own little implosion with Rudy Gobert throwing punches, words exchanged, uh, punches that are breaking hands. It's a mess right now in Minnesota, but I- I'm more focused on the the Lakers. Suddenly there's like a little resurgence here. I wrote them off months ago. I, see, uh, uh, I-, I thought they were just, you know, done, and there was nothing going to come of this LeBron James season, but they're eight-point favorites, and there's some belief around those who I see talking about it on Twitter or or uh, online that the Lakers are live in the Western Conference. Do you see it that way? Yeah, I see it that way just because the West is so open. You know, I mean, there's there's no one dominant team, even, you know, with Denver sitting at number one. Um, they've got probably a favorable draw, I would say, based on you know, a Minnesota team that's got no Gobert and no um, you know, Jane McDaniels who broke his hand also in that um you know, in that game over the weekend here. So you, you take off two guys here. I mean, you know, if Anthony Davis is going to play like Anthony Davis down the stretch, then yeah, they've got a, they've got a strong chance here. And if, if you get at it tonight, which I'm expecting them to do, then you're staring at a Minnesota, uh, that a, at a Memphis team that likely doesn't have Steven Adams for the playoffs and lost Brandon Clark a couple, uh, I guess a month ago here. So that's where, you know, that where it comes for the Lakers kind of, it's, you know, hey, it's all about LeBron and, and AD, but They've played really well since the trade deadline when they moved out Westbrook and they bounced out their roster here. So they're yeah, I think that you you have to consider them a threat. I think you have to consider probably the top, uh, probably the top seven teams in, in the Western Conference a threat to get you know to an NBA Finals. We have uh, four first round series set in stone. Which one sticks out to you as the most intriguing? Sacramento, Golden State. I'm, I'm probably the only one at ESPN who picked Sacramento to win the series. I picked them in six. Um, I think, you know, Golden State, based on what they did last year, of course, people are going to rely on that, getting Andrew Wiggins back. Everyone's counting Sacramento out because the youth factor, and these guys have never been there before. But I think the body of work of Sacramento the whole year 
um, has been con- more consistent than what I've seen from Golden State here. And, uh, you know, certainly as all you have to do in Golden State is steal a game on the road and that road record goes out the window as far as for them. But that's, that's the that's probably the most intriguing for me is the Sacramento Golden State. I think New York Cleveland is going to be pretty fascinating also um, in that four or five matchup too. What's the case for Golden State other than, you know, this, this championship court does not lose? Uh, you know, like from what we've seen this year, have they shown signs of, you know, turning a corner? Have they showed that they can win on the road? They're going to have to win at least once on the road to beat Sacramento. Have they internally and just not getting Andrew Wiggins back, have they, have they showed something recently here to make people believe if this was happening in a vacuum and there wasn't the context of multiple championships that they were the superior team and the team that's, you know, minus 300 favorites, I think, to advance? Yeah, not. I mean, it's funny. It's not. There, there was no. There wasn't really a signature game um, on the road that say, you know what? This. Hey, if you do this for, you know, thirty-five minutes, you know, this team's got a got a chance here because most of the games they played down a stretch on the road, teams were basically playing out the string. I mean, there's, you know, there was a, um, I think it was a New Orleans game at home where they were down big and they really turned it on in the second half, and you're thinking, yeah, that could be it. Um, but you're right. There hasn't been. You know, they're what nine and whatever. Uh, 32 or 33 on on the road here. Um, they have not been good. Um, you know, certainly a lot of people are counting on the Wiggins factor that team. This team finally is whole. But you know, you've you've got to. Um, you know, there are some. You know, there's certainly deficiencies here, or that record would have been a little bit differently. So I think a lot of it's just based on the championship. You know, championship equity from um, from a year ago that this team can kind of flip the switch and and do it again. Phoenix Suns are favored out of the 4-5 matchup to win the Western Conference. Uh, it's the same old question, right? Can Chris Ball get it done? Can this core uh, with the Phoenix Suns get it done with Kevin Durant added to the fold? Is there enough reps there for everyone? Has this come together quick enough? Like, Do the Phoenix Suns have what it takes to take advantage of the fact that they are considered favorites in the Western Conference? Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not concerned about Durant's limited body of work and you know with uh, him and Booker probably the top two closers that are you know going to be in the playoffs here it's gonna yeah it's gonna come down to as you say Chris Paul making shots it's gonna be coming down to your role players um, you know because the likelihood is that especially after the first game game plan changes a little bit probably double Durant more or even Booker get the ball out of his hands and its ability to make guys you know they're their lesser-known players kind of make shots. I'm expecting them to get out of round one against um, a Clipper team that's not going to have Paul George. Um, I think that probably will be a six- or seven-game seven series also. Uh, someone that was close to the Raptors, obviously, Dwayne Casey decided to move to the front office after their final game of the season, making the decision and the announcement himself, which is nice and uh, doesn't happen often. I'm sure for the newsbreakers, maybe a little bit less exciting. But Dwayne Casey's legacy as a coach, we've seen him here. We've seen what he's done um, across the league as well. Uh, how do you start to evaluate what he brought to the court and what he's going to bring in the front office? Yeah, I mean, you go all the way back to, you know, um, Dallas and Seattle and some of those other places before, um, you know, certainly what he did in Toronto during that stretch. And unfortunately, you you had LeBron staring at you all those years in in, in Cleveland here and, you know, went to uh, Detroit to take over, um, you know, kind of multiple different rosters and this rosters and, you know, major transition here. So, um, no, I mean, he's, you know, he's a lifer. I mean, he's, a, he's, he's had a you know strong p- a track record over, a, I guess, over the ta- past 10 years, certainly the last couple of years in Detroit, it's been different just because it's a team that's been, it's a young team that lost Cade Cunningham for most of this year. They've, 
basically kind of rebuilt for the last three years, and that, that presents a challenge here. So I understand from both sides as far as why the move, you know, certainly for, for Case going into the, into the front office. Now you kind of you pick your coach who's going to have, you know, two picks and potentially, you know, a franchise player in, in Victor Wembiani. You got a 14% chance at drafting a number one. Appreciate all the insight this morning, Bobby. Enjoy the stretch here. It's going to be exciting. It's going to be fun. And hopefully we get to talk some more Raptors or postseason stuff um, down the road. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Thank you. As Bobby Marks, ESPN NBA front office insider, giving us a scoop on the NBA play in that's starting today and the first round matchups that we have to look forward to, including the Raptors play in uh, tomorrow against the Chicago Bulls and DeMar DeRozan. Yeah, I think he makes a good point off the top, right? I'm, I think kind of jaded, kind of down on the play in tournament because you see the Mavs dodging it, but they had reason to. And, you know, we expected so much from the Toronto Raptors, and it seems like they're not going to offer much here. Maybe they get through the play in, maybe they don't. Um, but, it should be an exciting time. LeBron in a play-in game, a one-off to get in. Yeah. I guess he would have that, you know, the safety net of one more game in the 7-8 game. Uh, but they're, you know, it should be a good night. It should be a good couple nights here. We're going to see our guy Shea Gilgis-Alexander out of the go off. 10 seed. I think they're in New Orleans uh, the same night as the Raptors. So, uh, yeah, some exciting games ahead. Yeah, we got two opportunities to pick maybe your wake and rake pick from one of the NBA games tonight. Uh, there are two. Hawks and Heat and T-Wolves and Lakers before we get ready for the Raptors and the Bulls tomorrow night at Scotiabank Arena and they'll have Jurassic Park for you, the Play-In Park. Go check it out. The Play-In Park, the I play like that. Play-In Park, that's it. Trademark it now, Play-In Park. Maybe you want to go check it out. But you've got uh, the big home opener for the Toronto Blue Jays tonight. That's seven oh seven first pitch. As we mentioned off the top, we've got an exciting lineup for you uh, content-wise. I actually just saw that there are broadcasts happening from Sportsnet mm-hmm. at the Rogers Center uh, adjacent to us. <laughs> wolfing down a poutine hot dog. I did see that on breakfast television. Mm-hmm. We didn't get the invite. But uh, tonight, following a 10-game road trip to start the season, your Blue Jays make the long-awaited return to the Rogers Center. They open a three-game series against the Detroit Tigers. You can catch all of the action on Sportsnet, Sportsnet Now, and Sportsnet 590 fans starting at 7 p.m. Obviously, we got the TV... Starting at 6 p.m., though, there'll be lots of pregame stuff, so make sure you tune in early. We're excited to see all the festivities, all the ceremonies. There's some awards being handed out, including um, Alejandro Kirk's Silver Slugger, Jordan Romano's Tip O'Neill Award, Vladdy's Gold Glove. The Blue Jays will also honor first baseman and baseball Hall of Fame inductee, friend of the show as well, Fred McGriff. Remember when he joined us? That was lovely. Mm-hmm. And then our own fan drive time with Ennis and Murphy will stream uh, live from Sportsnet Grill from 5 to 7 p.m. So you can tune into all of that, but make sure you get there early. Fans strongly encouraged to head down to the Rogers Center because uh, gates opening at 5 p.m. There should be a lengthy line. Pre-game ceremonies will start. So you don't want to miss anything. And if you're not heading down to the ballpark, special final edition of Tim and Friends starts an hour earlier, 4 to 6 p.m. before Blue Jays Central takes you to uh, opening pitch from 6 to 7. So, yeah, final episode of Tim and Friends. Definitely want to watch that live from Rogers Center. Very, very big day at the network. And you've got Alec Manoa on the bump against Matt Manning for the Detroit Tigers. Uh, Blue Jays heavy favorites tonight, but we remember how the home opener went last time, so... 
Let's not get ahead of ourselves, but I'm feeling good about the Blue Jays tonight. When you're in attendance, you just bet for wins and for overs and for fun stuff to happen. So that'll be part of my wake and rake. But the keep teeing it up for us, our next guest will be Caleb Joseph, uh, former MLB catchers, current sports and analyst as well. He's in Toronto for the first week of the Jays home games. So excited to get all of his insight on how different it would be as a catcher to have pitch calm, pitch clock, warming up uh, your pitcher in the bullpen when fans are tastefully yelling at you, which might happen tonight. Only tastefully. <laughs> All of that to come on the other side of the break on the Fan Morning Show with Justin and Elish.